Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is taken from the reading we heard in Isaiah. You may be seated. We begin with the word prayer. Almighty Father, we give you thanks that you have united us to your dear Son, Jesus. You have taken away our sins and granted us his righteousness. Be with us this day, Lord, as we hear your word and grant us your Holy Spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. As Rachel mentioned in the children's message, uh, it is the Sunday of joy. Gaudate is the Latin for this. Uh, but it is the Sunday for joy in the Christmas season, or the Advent season, I should say. Now, there's a lot of things that bring people joy this time of year. And one of those things that brings us joy, at least in my house, for some of our family members, are Hallmark Christmas movies. Now, be honest with me. How many of you have watched an inordinate amount of Hallmark Christmas movies in your house this year? All right, so far, Kyle, Tracy's lying. Okay, very good. Uh, yeah, that's, that's something that goes on in our homes. Now, if you're planning, because you haven't done it yet, you're just going to binge them all this week. I'm about to ruin them for you, because I'm going to spoil how they go. All right? Let me explain to you how it works. The movie always begins uh, with a lady who is working as some sort of reporter, and she was very driven and very aspirational, and she's caught up very much in her work and also very bad at love. But she has found a way to get an interview with this sort of playboy prince who nobody can seem to find and nobody can ever seem to interview. He's a loose cannon, and no one can seem to settle him down. But she's found a way to get an interview. The thing is, she can only do the interview at Christmas time. So she flies to this place where he lives, which is some made-up northern European nation in a gorgeous mountain town where he lives in a castle. And there, everybody speaks English with a fake accent that sounds like nothing you've ever heard. This is how it goes. And you move, she gets there, and she's about to land the interview, but guess what? There's a blizzard, and they get stuck inside together and suddenly find uh, that not only do they get the interview, but a budding romance. This is how it goes. Uh, and she comes with all of her background and baggage and difficulty with love, and he comes with all of his background and his baggage and, and sort of recklessness, but sure enough, they are a match made in Hallmark, and it all comes together. Now... You might wonder, what is the name of this movie? I don't know, but I've got three options at least for us this morning. A Princess for Christmas, we could call it that. Uh, we could call it, uh, what was the other one? I could, oh, Marriage Under the Mistletoe, I think that's pretty good. Or I Heard the Wedding Bells on Christmas Day. Those are our options, all right. Uh, I'm telling you this because I want you to know I just got a job with Hallmark and I am out. See you guys later, that's, that's it for me. All right. I got no other reason to talk than just to complain about these things this morning. No, uh, I, I bring this up today because as I was reading through our passage from Isaiah, I was struck by the fact that it seems like Isaiah wants to get in on this December marriage conversation. Because as he's describing to us this incredible, gracious relationship that we have with God, he uses wedding language. He speaks of it as a marriage. Listen to what he says. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. 
For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. One of the beautiful pictures we get in the Scriptures of God's relationship with His people is that between a bridegroom and a bride. It's picked up even in the New Testament when we hear of Jesus' relationship with His church. And St. Paul in Ephesians 5 describes it this way when he says, Husbands, you ought to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy, and without blemish. The image you get here is God committing Himself to His people. Christ committing Himself to His church for all of eternity. Now, one of the things that happens when you come to a marriage, and this is actually uh, illustrated in all of these Hallmark movies, is that everybody comes into this relationship with their own baggage, for lack of a better word. We come with our own background. We come with all of our stuff. And when you get married, all of that stuff belongs to the other person. All of that baggage gets to be shared. Now, what ends up happening uh, in our relationships is, uh, as I find in all of my premarital counseling, people come in and they say, yes, well, they have some issues in the past. They've got some, uh, some family issues. They've got some quirks. They've got some habits. But don't worry. We'll fix all that once we get married. <laughs> That's... That's what people actually think. Um, it doesn't work that way, just so we're all clear. Marriage doesn't work like that. You can't really just change the other person. But when it comes to our relationship with Christ, there is, in a sense, a change that does take place. For when we come to this relationship, both parties come into this relationship with all kinds of stuff. We come into our relationship with Christ with what? Sin, guilt, shame, uh, uh, bound to death, struggles with Satan, I mean, temptations. We come with all of this sinful background. And this is what we bring to the relationship. And Christ comes, and he comes with, we call this the, the blessed or happy exchange. Christ comes with everything he has. Mercy, forgiveness, righteousness, salvation, the promise of eternal life. And when we enter into this relationship with Christ in baptism, he takes all of that stuff away from us that is ours and exchanges it for everything that is his. Everything that is Christ's belongs to us. Everything that is ours belongs to Christ. And I think Isaiah today, in the beginning of this passage, lays out for us how this blessed exchange works. The first four verses we're going to look at today, and what I want you to do is if you've, if you've got a Bible in front of you, we've got a few Bibles in the pew, or you're allowed to look at your phone here, don't check the scores, but if you've got a Bible app on your phone, go to Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4, and what we're going to see here is the exchange that takes place. What do we bring to the relationship, and what does Christ bring to the relationship? And so it begins like this. Now, just so you know, uh, Isaiah is preaching this passage, but it's really the Lord's words in Isaiah's mouth. So it's as though I, the Lord is speaking through Isaiah. So the Lord says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
So, so here's the first exchange that takes place. What do we bring to the relationship? Poverty. Some form of spiritual poverty. And Christ comes with good news to say that he is taking our poverty away. One of the things we have to realize is, is that as creatures of God, we depend on God for literally everything in our lives. Not just for our salvation, though certainly for that. We depend on God for everything that we have in this world. We are dependent on him. He is the creator, and we are creatures who depend on our creator. Martin Luther said it this way, we are all beggars. This is true. Apart from God's provision, we have nothing. But the good news is, is that we have a God who gladly and freely gives us everything we need for life and salvation. In your relationship with God and in my relationship with God, our sin has impoverished us. But God sends Christ Jesus to take on our poverty and to replace it with his wealth of righteousness. In, in the end of the passage that we read just a little bit earlier, Isaiah says we are robed in the righteousness of God. Christ has dressed us up in his robes of righteousness and now we who are poor on our own are treated as royalty in the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> so that's the first thing, that this poverty exchanged for the royalty of heaven. Second, he says, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Now, brokenhearted there, we, we start to think of, uh, uh, <laughs> when we think of brokenhearted, we think of, you know, the lady at the beginning of the Hallmark movie who's, who's had a hard time with love. That's not what he's saying here. It's more of an image that we have a sickness in our heart. We are sin sick. Sin is like a disease. The Bible will use a number of metaphors, as we'll even see today, a number of metaphors to describe our sinfulness. But sickness is one of those metaphors. Now, you've got to be careful with it. Because it's not a sickness like this, that you were sort of in the choir last night at the concert, and the person next to you coughed, and now you've got a cold. It's not a sickness that you pick up like that. Rather, it's, it's a disease that we are born with. We are by nature sinners. We are born with this disease that leads to death, and it's in our systems. And what we do because of this is called sin. We sin because we are sinners. We are born with this disease, and we can't get rid of it. But Christ makes this glorious promise to us when he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Sin breaks our hearts. It leads us full of sorrow, but Christ, our great physician, comes <clears throat> to heal our sin disease. And he does it for you even this morning. First by diagnosis, you are a sinner. But then with a promise to heal, I forgive you for your sins, for I've died for all of your sins. And now as you continue to deal with the repercussions and the problems of sin in your life, Jesus invites you today to this meal where you will receive what the theologians call the medicine of salvation, the Lord's Supper, where he will give you his body and he will give you his blood to eat and drink, and this will forgive and sustain you all the way into life everlasting. Christ is here forgiving you and fighting your sin for you. It's like, it's like you married a doctor, see, and so mom is happy. Very good. All right. 
Next one. I've come to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now, this one is perhaps one of the hardest images the Scripture uses to describe our sinfulness and one that we really wrestle with. Here, Isaiah tells us, you are bound to sin. And we don't like to hear that. We like to think of ourselves as free, that we have sort of this free will that can make all the decisions that are good or bad in our lives. And so we like to think of ourselves as sort of neutral, free agents. And if we want to sin, we will. And if we don't want to sin, we won't. And you might want to talk to me about how you have a free will and you can choose to decide Jesus and you can choose not to sin. And that sounds all well and good. And just let me know how that works out when you decide every single day this week to not sin. You can't help it. You're bound to do it. Your, your, your will, your body, your life, you're captivated by sin. We are bound to sin whether we like it or not. So we can talk about free will until we're blue in the face. Meanwhile, Christ comes to free those who are in bondage. Christ comes to set captives free. He comes and says, I'm taking your bondage away from you, your bondage to sin, your bondage to death, and I am freeing you by overcoming your grave and promising you everlasting life. Freedom is a gift we receive from Christ. It's not an act of the will. In fact, the only one free is God. And in his freedom, he has decided to save you. He chose you. And in a sense, he's now bound himself to save you in a promise. When he says, I forgive you for your sins. And yet there's more. He says, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. That seems like an odd place to talk about vengeance. But here what, what Jesus is saying to us is that in this relationship, you've uh, brought some enemies with you. You come into this relationship dealing with sin and with death and really with the devil. And the devil has claimed you and tries to claim to be your God. The devil tries to claim to be your Lord and the one in charge of your life. And Christ comes and says, I'm going to punish him for this is spoken by Isaiah to the Israelites, as we've talked about a lot this series. Uh, the Israelites who will be in bondage in uh, Babylon. They will be enslaved in Babylon. And now they'll go to Babylon because they violated God's covenant, and, and this is sort of the punishment they get for that. But while they are there, Babylon overextends their authority. And Babylon, instead of being merely an instrument of God, seeks to be God themselves. And they begin to lord themselves over the Israelites and try and force the Israelites to turn from the one true God. And so God says to the Babylonians, enough! I'm going to send someone in to punish you and destroy you, and I'm going to set my people free. I'm going to bring them back into the land, and I'm going to give them all the blessings. This is what Christ says in this relationship. You come dealing with the devil who lords himself over you, but it will not last forever. For when Christ came the first time, he crushed the serpent's head when he was crucified on the cross and he defeated Satan for you so that the devil is no longer your Lord. And though he will tempt you, he cannot Lord himself 
over you. God will not let him. And when Christ returns, all of this bothersome work the devil has done against us will be done away with. And Satan will be bound in hell forever. And he will see as you and I, who he tried to claim as his sinners, are welcomed into the marriage feast of the Lamb. And Christ takes us into his presence to give us his blessings for all of eternity. One more. I have come to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they might be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. This language of, of ashes, of mourning, of a faint spirit, this is funeral language. Jesus says, I've come to replace the funeral with an eternal wedding feast, the marriage feast of the Lamb. I've come to take away your death and replace it with life. The wages, the consequence of sin is death, and we come into this relationship cloaked in our sin that deserves death. But in this beautiful exchange, when Christ is taking all of this bad stuff away from us, he takes all of it away from us to the cross. Where he dies, he takes the death we deserve. And it's in his death that he dies clothed as, as the chief sinner, though he himself knew no sin. He became sin for us. He became you the sinner on the cross, who died in your place, so that, as St. Paul tells us, you might become the righteousness of God. You might be clothed in the royal robes of Christ's righteousness so that your death is no longer eternal but temporary and you have been given the gift of everlasting life. And we know this is true, for Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and death cannot contain him. So he rose from the grave to bring you and I the greatest wedding present of all, the gift of eternal life. See, here is where true joy is found. We come to this relationship and we bring with us our poverty, our disease of sin, our bondage, our enemies, and death. And Christ takes all of it away and in exchange gives us the good news your sins are forgiven, your disease is healed, your freedom is granted, your enemies are defeated, and death will be no more. You don't get any of that in a Hallmark movie. But let us rejoice this Advent. For Advent gives us the great bridegroom, Jesus Christ, who in the most beautiful exchange ever made, took your sins away and united uh, and united you to himself for all of eternity. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for this blessed, happy exchange where you have taken away our sins and granted us forgiveness in life. Keep us ever mindful of your grace towards us and help us to trust you faithfully for all of eternity. Celebrate in joy your mercy. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.